This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Charles Reed Edison on the state of low-power wide area networks and the path for the three major vendors, MBIOT, LoRa, and Sigfox across Asia-Pacific and how the different telco players are leveraging them to enable IoT for different use cases. Welcome back with me, Charles Anderson, founder of Charles Reed Anderson and & Associates and one of the experts in Internet of Things across the region. And since I have him here, I might as well just get him for the hour. I want to get back to that conversation we have a couple of months ago about low power wide area networks, which people call LP1s. And I think the state of LP1s in Asia 2018 would probably be very interesting to watch. So I want to start off first by actually still need to educate my audience. Can you introduce the concept of LP1s and the three major vendors, MBIOT, Sigfox, and Laura, and where they are in these days. Sure, yeah. So low-power WANs, funny enough, it's almost like going back to a retro-type technology. If you look at somebody like Laura or Sigfox, it's based on old World War II technology, some of the stuff that they would use for submarines to connect. And the idea is that what you're actually doing is shipping very small amounts of data over a very wide area. What makes that interesting is that you can actually now put in things that have a battery life of five or 10 years and start connecting things up, send data intermittently like every hour, four hours, six hours and capture more data. But because it's going to be, you know, basically a low power network, not sending too much data, it also comes in at a very low cost. So what this allows us to do is go out there and connect those next generation of things. And of course, that could be anything from tracking assets, it could be tracking a piece of post. Literally, I mean, I've heard use cases, people talking about um, sticking sensors inside of credit cards when they're delivered. So you can tell actually when it's been opened and delivered. And so it gets to be an interesting model because now we can be very creative in this because it's a very low cost network. And what's important is these tend to be IoT dedicated networks. And the problem is right now, if we want to connect all those things on existing mobile networks, it's going to clog up the networks because each base station can only control a limited amount of connections. But these new IoT dedicated networks can handle a lot more of those, which means we can connect up a lot more of those as well. And what's been interesting is this market is still very, very new. And it only goes back to, I think it was July 2016, SK Telecom launched a LoRa offering across Korea. So that was the first one in region. And now what you have is, and that was on LoRa, then you saw all the Sigfox operators come in. So now Sigfox is operating in Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, ANZ, Taiwan, and even Hong Kong, and in Japan as well. So they pretty much got a lot of coverage now across the region. And then there was more low-power WAN initiatives. Probably the most exciting one on that is about Tatacoms. They're doing a nationwide LoRa network for India which will encompass 400 million people by the end of this year. So that's going to be a really exciting one to watch. And then you've got the regular mobile operators coming in and leveraging MBIoT. And it's important to state this, MBIoT is the one that's built on regular 3G, 4G technology. So it's using the existing networks. It's what the mobile operators will drive. So what you see in China, this is where the world's growth is coming from. China Mobile, China Unicom, and China Telecom have all launched MBIoT. It's supported by the government. If you ever see MBIoT growth figures, ask them to break out China because it'll be interesting to see how it grows beyond the China market. But then in almost every other country, you know, whether it's Thailand, India, Singapore, Australia, everyone is starting to launch these other mobile operators. 
So when you look back a year and a half ago, we had one low power WAN. Now we've got a couple of dozen and more coming online all the time, which means in almost every single country, this is now something that we, we can leverage to start driving solutions. So of these three major vendors, they are better for different kinds of use cases, right? Can you elaborate on that? And this is the fun part because this is where they, all three of them get mad at me for explaining it this way. But if you look at it, something like Laura, I think is very good for doing things that are site specific. So that could be for a remote site. It could be for something in a smart city environment. And when you want to create your own private network, now, you might want to do that if you had data, like say you're a smart city. If you have data that is citizen data or city data that is highly confidential, you don't want to stick that on a mobile network, so MBIoT, and you wouldn't want to stick that on Sigfox because all their data sits in the cloud and that's back into France. So you create your own LoRa type of network. I think Sigfox is very good for certain types of use cases that are very low risk, low security risks on that, but it's also at a very low price point. So it allows you to do the convenient things of whether it could be like a bike sharing scheme or whatever else. Their price points are low and their coverage is good because they probably operate now in 30 or 40 countries around the world. And MBIoT is a little bit of a different one because that's going to work on the mobile networks. So it's people who have traditionally worked with the carriers could be working with them to drive more solutions. But because it operates on a local mobile network, it also mitigates some of those security risks. And to be honest with you, I don't expect one of them to win. If I'm a smart city, um, whether that's Singapore, Taipei, uh, Manila, Jakarta, whoever it might be, there's probably use cases that I would stick on each one. So if I was in Singapore and I wanted to connect up, I don't know, like say every tree in botanical gardens, I would probably look at something like Sigfox because it's the lowest cost associated with it. But then there might be things I'd be willing to put on a mobile network for tracking my vehicles as they go around the city because they'll already have coverage covering the whole city. But then there's going to be data that I'm really concerned about putting on anybody else's network. So I would create my own encrypted LoRa network. So these deployments have exploded across Asia Pacific. And I guess you, if you want to separate out China for MBIoT, can you give me an outline of the countries and telcos who are involved in deploying one of these three solutions or maybe all three solutions? What I'd say, like I explained China. I know they just did a deal with Sigfox as well to do something for elderly care management, but I'm not sure how much that'll evolve. I imagine China is going to be pure MBIoT, and I think it's going to drive the total global growth in the market. Interestingly, if you go somewhere like a Japan, which is quite a developed market, they have all three different options. So they're going to have Sigfox, LoRa, and MBIoT. And what you have is somebody like SoftBank has launched both LoRa and MBIoT initiatives. And I think that's a really interesting way of doing it because it gives them the flexibility. It says, listen, if you want to have these types of use cases, our MBIoT network is going to be most appropriate. However, if you're a site, we'll also allow you to launch LoRa solutions as well. So I think it gets interesting when you move into the multiple ones. If you look at somebody like SK Telecom, they're LoRa right now, but they'll then launch LTEM coming up, which is another version of this, another variant. And that'll give them that flexibility to go after a wider share of the use cases. What's missing in the market now is people don't understand. There's not a laundry list of 100 or 1,000 use cases, and it shows you which ones they're most appropriate for. What happens is each of the vendors that are backing all three solutions go into the customers and say that they're the right answer for everything. And that's just not true. We need to be able to start delineating this and showing that these types of use cases are most appropriate for Sigfox, these are most appropriate for LoRa, and these for MBIoT. So like, for example, in Asia Pacific, like for example, in the Southeast Asia, which other countries and telcos are that are also involved as well? Okay. So what we had was Unibiz launched their Sigfox network probably over a year ago now here in Singapore. But recently, you've had all three mobile operators, Singtel, M1, and Starhub, 
go out there and launch, or they're in the process of launching MBIoT. I think Singtel is just about going to commercial launch now. In Malaysia, it's a little bit farther behind. So they've got Experanti is just launching their Sigfox network now, but it's not commercially launched. And you have like Telecom Malaysia was looking at doing a LoRa network. Thailand as well, it's still early days. They've announced that there'll be a Sigfox network through Platinera. And then AIS is looking at MBIoT. Indonesia, the one to keep an eye on is Telecomcel. Globe in the Philippines has also announced it. So across the region, ASEAN is actually farther behind, with the exception of Singapore, is farther behind than maybe some of the more developed countries like uh, ANZ, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Japan, Korea. But I expect them to catch up. Now, the benefit of them not benef- like investing all this up front is they can see what works and what doesn't work. So they can allow countries you know, like Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Japan to go out there and test the market, see which use cases work. So hopefully it'll increase the chance of them being successful when they do eventually launch more solutions. So how does the telcos as customers are approaching these low power vans? Is it focused more on capabilities or costs? This is an interesting one. The last couple of years, I've been trying to tell everybody that expect the connectivity costs are going to go to zero. I think the telcos initially when they started looking at this thought these low power vans would be a great new revenue source. And I used to see some of the decks that were going around and they were saying that you can charge three US dollars per month per connection on something like a low power WAN network. In reality, I mean, someone like Sigfox through Univis, you can get that for a dollar a month or dollar a year now. And that's a dollar, one sing dollar a year. So 60 US cents per year. So I think they thought initially it was going to be um, a generator there. The wise ones are now realizing that the money isn't in the connectivity. The money's into doing hardware, software, and services. So this is what I'll be tracking on all these operators. Are they focused on the connectivity or do they understand the market they should be going after is creating, you know, extending out into that full end-to-end solution portfolio. Because if they don't, they're just going to become the bit pipe and not get any money out of it. They're facing a struggle in it. And it's, I, I go back to the same thing with operators, let's say 10, 15 years ago, around enterprise mobility. They really struggled with driving the solutions because they didn't have the right professional services skill. They know they have people who can sell commodity solutions and not as much solutions. So can they actually go out there and help a customer identify a business case that they potentially want to deploy. So I'll be tracking this to see, can the telcos evolve their business models? And I'll be honest with you, I I do have one good example on this already. If you look at Univis, they've launched in Singapore and they've launched in Taiwan. Their whole focus isn't on connectivity. They've basically wiped out that market saying, we'll give it to you for almost free. Um, But they are investing is, you know, when they're creating their company, they're building out hardware, software, and services capabilities. And it's almost like the model for the telco of the future. That's interesting. So what are the market awareness of customers from consumer to enterprise who might need to build services and products on the LPMNs. I mean, if you think about a LoRa network, which is so site-specific and private network, it's ideal for agriculture, it's ideal for oil and gas mining, it's also ideal for large-scale critical infrastructure for governments. So where are the customers on the LPMNs? It's kind of funny because it is pretty new technology, but I was surprised from our survey results that how many people actually have a decent understanding of the capabilities and limitations. So we literally asked all those people, those 1,200 plus respondents, about MBIoT, LoRa, and Sigfox. And we asked them, number one, do you have an understanding of the capabilities and limitations? Or number two, do you at least have a basic understanding? Now, on the good, solid understanding of capabilities and limitations, it comes in between 20 and 23% of the market. I already have that good understanding. And then it's about another, let's just say, 30, 40% is going to have a basic understanding. So you're looking at roughly 60% of the market across all three of these already has a good understanding, at least a basic one, of what these, the capabilities and limitations of these networks are. Now, that's farther ahead than I would anticipate because 
while I announced all those different launches of low-power WANs, that doesn't mean they're commercially launched already. That means they're in the process of deploying the networks or upgrading their networks, and they're just preparing for a commercial launch. So they, we've done a decent job explaining to people about it. Um, and the best thing is, people, even beyond that, where you ask, you know, have you heard of it, but you're not sure what it is, that gets you to well above the 90th percentile. Um, so it's about 10% basically of just not, not familiar with these networks at all. So I think they're in pretty good shape there. But what's a little bit more interesting, we asked them a follow-up question of, which ones do you use today? Which do you plan to use? Which ones may you use? So that's sort of the optimistic scenario. And that comes in at about 50 plus percent across the board, which means over half the companies are open to using these networks, which is very positive for them. We also said, which will you not use? Now that comes in at about 8% across the board, across Sigfox, LoRa, and MBIoT, which to be fair is pretty good news. That means less than 10% of the market has said, we're not going to use you. But the really interesting number comes in between, and that's the companies that say they do not have enough information to decide. So this undecideds group is between 35 and 39%, and that's the key. If low-power WANs are going to be successful, what they have to do is be able to convert those undecideds into the plan to use. Now, if they're not able to do that and they shift into the will-not-use camp, that's a very bad scenario because you've basically got half the market then saying, we're not going to use this technology. So this is what's going to be the exciting part. And what will really decide the trajectory of LP WANs beyond 2018 is how successful can the vendor ecosystem be at explaining the market and actually helping them understand the risks and address the challenges of the marketplace. So what are the top five challenges of LP WANs? And can you provide some details to each of these challenges then? Sure. The top one that comes across is security. And that shouldn't be a problem in my view. It comes in at 72%. We've just done a very bad job of explaining it. We should be able to address it more going forward. But the problem is, and what worries me most about this right now, if you look at IoT, and people who are concerned with security, it comes in at 56%. Now for LP WANs, it's at 72%. So it's 16% more are concerned about low power WANs. That means the market hasn't been doing a good job of helping the customers understand why it is secure. Now this will be a hindrance and this will hold them back. So I would recommend all those vendors start pushing security to the front of their marketing decks and brochureware on this because if you don't address that, we're in trouble. Number two one comes in at hardware costs. And a lot of this just relates to the maturity level of the market. You got to buy a sensor module and those are expensive in the early days, but they start going down. And even Sigfox and LoRa now have modules and sensors that come in at under a dollar. But NBIoT, it has a little bit more functionality. So their modules are a little bit more expensive and it's a little bit less mature, which means it launched later than Sigfox and LoRa. So their hardware costs are still pretty significant. They're coming in at about seven US dollars right now. So it's a more expensive option. Now, as the market evolves, you would imagine that those price points would go down with just basic supply and demand. But for the time being, it's still going to be more expensive than going to the other options. The number three one is about lack of use cases. And this also concerns me quite a bit. Around all IoT, only 37% are concerned with use cases or the lack of use cases. When you get to low power WANs, it's 50%. And this is the whole, like me going back to this, build it and they will come. We've got the networks now that we can go out and deploy. We don't know what to do with it. And we're not telling customers what they can do with it. So until we address this and come up with these solutions, it'll be very difficult. And this is why I'm so excited about that initiative in Taipei, because what we're doing is getting not only the ICT vendors, but you know, small startups and citizens to go out and develop on these platforms. 
to start creating these new use cases that can leverage low-power WANs. I guess the next two challenges aren't as bad as I would have thought. So unproven technology comes in at number four. Just over a third of the market thinks that this still isn't proven. Considering how new they are, I thought that would be much higher. So I'm not as concerned about that one. And the final one about market fragmentation. This could be a troubling scenario for us, but the fact that only 35% are concerned with market fragmentation means that people aren't looking for just, it doesn't have to be just one solution. They're open to looking at different options. And this is good because if the tech buyers realize that it's not going to be all your solutions on one type of networking technology, it's going to be a blend of fixed and wireless type of solutions, that's a positive thing going forward. So are LP1s going the way of the 3G when it first started? I mean, I think you have alluded to the point in the last episode about the growth of IoT, it seems to be very slow burn until you reach some form of tipping point and probably a killer app, and then it starts to accelerate. Yeah, I think we're in the hype stage still on you know, this stuff and low power WANs. I don't see enough substance right now. There is some worrying stats out there. So if you look at someone like Huawei, they set up nine different innovation labs with operators around the world. The last deck I saw, um, someone presenting on them, said they came up with 60 different use cases. Now, if you've had a couple of years in nine labs globally and you only come up with 60 use cases and almost every one of those is from a vendor that's sitting in China, I'm really getting starting to get more concerned about the use cases. I think you're starting to see some things coming out of Laura, which is interesting, more the independent offerings from the Things Network, which is really driving like a bottom-up type growth within low-power WAN. They're starting to come up with a lot more use cases because they're going up to the small parts of the market and small individuals or SMBs to get them to create this next wave of innovation. But yeah, it, it does get a little bit worrying because I see a lot of the same mistakes. We've built the network. They've bought off an initial hype about what the network's going to deliver, and we forgot about where's the solutions. And it's the same thing that happened with 3G. Same thing we're doing with 5G as well. We know 5G's fast. What's the use cases right now besides video, HD video? I mean, there is other ones, but it's not well known yet. So we ride the network hype, we deploy the networks, and then we're sitting there going, okay, we've got them. Where's the solutions? Now what do we do? So I guess this is a story that's still going to be ongoing. And then by 2019, do you think it will still be the same as today? I think there's going to be a couple of other disruptive factors coming in. Um, obviously, you've got LTM being launched by the operators. What I'm really keen to keep tracking is from Nokia. They're launching a product called MultiFire. Just came out. They did the first deployments in Finland recently. And MultiFire is like a private LTE network, which I like this because it works in that same type of a space as LoRa, but it allows you to create your own network so you can encrypt the data and you know, it should basically mitigate all your security risks. Why it's interesting is it's not just low power. It's LTE, which means you can run your HD video surveillance on it and your low power connections, and it's all your own network. So I think that'll be an interesting one to cause some disruptors as well. But to be honest with you, I hope, honestly, I want the whole market to work. I think there's use cases for each of these. I just think we're still in a very immature market. And part of that's because, let's face it, all these Sigfox operators, almost every one of them is going to be a new startup. So it takes them a while to grow their company, define their messaging, understand their go-to-market strategy. And even for the large players, the mobile operators, this is a new world for them. They don't have the right skill sets. They probably don't have right the compensation models for their sales teams because, let's face it, if these things are that cheap, how, what, where are you going to make money? Who are you going to be able to set uh, sales targets and commissions on for selling it? So I think it's a little bit immature, but I'm going to be keen to watch it over the next year. Feels like LP Wands is going to go through as a services model. That's where I'm thinking that you will be heading. I'm hoping, yeah. yeah. I'm hoping someone figures that out because that also addresses the biggest concern we've got about IoT right now, or one of the biggest ones. And there's this CapEx OpEx issue. 
So only about 26% of the companies are concerned about OPEX with IoT, but 56% are concerned with CapEx. And this is a real crucial thing that people are missing. Because they're proof of concepts, they don't want to throw the money in up front. I'd like to see all the vendors do as much as a service as possible, because that will basically minimize a lot of the challenges in the sales cycle. Charles, many thanks for coming on the show. And I think this whole hour, we probably have learned more a lot about what's going on in IoT in Asia. And of course, the evolution of LP Wens. So in closing, I have two questions and this is probably your first time going to be answering. The first one is, can you recommend a book, movie or podcast or anything that recently made an impact to your work and personal life? This is a funny one because I think I, this is a strange thing, but there's a couple people that I've been tracking recently. A lot of the stuff that I see around IoT, I think is too much hype, especially around prediction season. A lot of it's just too much out in the air. There's one person I've been tracking who writes for light reading. His name's Ian Morris. He's been dissecting the industry in a very interesting way, and it's pragmatic, and he's upsetting a lot of people, but I like that. So that affects my work and personal life to an extent. What I think I really would affect in my personal life more was there was a predictions that came out from IoT Analytics. And I think it's the funniest thing I've read in a long time because they have their normal predictions. And the last one was prediction number 10, blockchain-based artificial edge intelligence, or BAEI, hits the mainstream. And I looked at that and I just thought, oh my word, here comes another analyst from coming up with some crazy BS. And then what happened was they actually said, actually, we're just joking. This isn't anywhere close to happening. And I think what they're finally doing now is putting a more pragmatic approach around this stuff of don't always believe the hype, start taking a step back. And that impacts me personally as well, because I just sort of been taking a little bit more of a joking way of looking at the market recently. But specifically on a book, I'm starting to read a book, which you actually recommended to me recently, which is Sapiens. And that's the one that's really started to have more of an impact because I'm trying to understand not only the evolution from my social life, but then I'm taking that same thing back into my work life and looking at IoT. And if I can understand the evolutionary process, I can figure out where it's going. Thank you for that. And how do my audience find you? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn under Charles Reed Anderson. They can go to my website, which is charlesreedanderson.com. And they can follow me on Twitter at CRA Singapore. You can find me at Bernard Long or at bernardlong.com. Uh, subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-R-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, TuneIn, and of course, Google Play in the US market. Tweet to me, give us a star in Pocket Cast, a star in Overcast, and of course, five stars in iTunes. And once again, Charles, many thanks for coming on to the show. It's a pleasure. Take care, Bernard.